Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you haven't done so already, I, open, I invite you to open up your Bibles and find Daniel chapter 6. The word of God from the book that we love. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. But the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that would be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the pit of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the pit of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of those captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of how to save Daniel. The rest of the day he spent looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the pit of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. So at last, the king, sorry, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the pit. The king was sealed the stone with his royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel in the night. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early in the morning, the king got up and hurried out to the pit of lions. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. 
My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel be lifted from the pit. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the pit of lions along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the pit. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The word of God from the book that we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, ancient of days, the living God, you are a God that saves. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. You are trustworthy and true. We humble ourselves before you in a posture of surrender to thank you for the gift of your word. The stories passed down from generation to generation that teach us about who you are and whose we are. This morning, Lord, wash us in peace. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Refresh our minds and renew a steadfast spirit within us. As we proclaim your promises about your word, in your word, as Isaiah writes, we listen so that we may live. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is your word that goes out from your mouth. It will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. We claim this promise today, our Lord, our God. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our stories. Help us to know you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly each and every day. In the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior, amen and amen. It's both tremendously humbling and exciting to be able to teach on such a famous story of our faith to try to bring a tired story to new life and find fresh insight in well-traveled words. It's also quite the invitation to preach on Halloween. <laughs> doesn't happen all that often, and Pastor Joe passed up quite the opportunity. Everyone I talked to about what I was going to teach on this morning said that I should definitely dress up as a lion. Um, I didn't, so you're welcome for that. But just a bit about me and a bit of a disclaimer as well. I, um, I'm a card-carrying Bible history and languages nerd thinks that Jesus of Nazareth is utterly amazing and worth following with everything you have. And whether you're, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus and with your relationship with his word, it's okay. Whether you've never heard these stories before or you heard them a thousand times, there's something for us to learn here and you also bring insight. 
And I know that at least one person here today doesn't quite understand why we read this book. How could a book written in a holistically different part of the world thousands of years ago be at all relevant to what we're experiencing here and now? But the truth of the matter is that the stories of the Bible and even the Old Testament ones have everything to do with our lives. To be a follower of Jesus is to read the Old Testament as a part of our family story, our history. To see that Daniel's story is actually our story because it was Jesus' story. Before we go any deeper, I also want to get our bearings. The Bible's a big book and it's really easy to get lost in it. So we find ourselves in Daniel. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at where we are, where we're going, and where we've been. So what has already happened in the story that's led up to this point? Well, this ancient collection of stories begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all things he created, he said, were good. He made a garden mountain temple where heaven and earth overlap, where God and humanity could live together forever. In that garden, God made Adam from the Adamah. He formed a human from the dirt of the ground. And he made that human in his own image so that it would reflect who he was to the whole world. And he made them as mediators for, between God and the rest of creation. And in the garden, he gave them a job. He gave them the job of priests of his garden mountain temple to keep it and watch over it. To use their authority and their abilities to bring out the latent potential of all creation. But in the garden, it wasn't enough for Adam and Eve to be like God. They wanted to be God. They chose to disobey, and they wanted to be able to define what was good for themselves. So they ate from the wrong tree, the forbidden fruit. So God exiled them to the east of Eden. But God also made a promise that day that there would be a chosen human that would put an end once and for all to humanity's fatal flaw and return them to the garden life of abundance and blessing and purpose and identity. And ever since leaving the garden, humanity has been waiting for the chosen one who will save them. Noah came, and for a minute it looked like he might be the one to break the cycle. But he too failed. He plants a garden, he gets drunk off of his own wine, and then some sketchy stuff happens with his son. And then Abraham. He's a man of faith, and it's credited to him as righteousness. But God makes a promise to use his family to return the whole world back to that abundant blessing of the garden. But he too isn't the one. Then Moses, then David, and it goes on and on until God is fed up with the kingdom of Israel and he allows it to be destroyed. After the last remnants of that kingdom are completely destroyed, some of the officials of Israel are taken as captives to the enemy state of Babylon. And this brings us to Daniel, where we are in today's reading. Daniel is one of the captives who was taken from his home by the enemy to live and work in enemy territory. The first half of this book, which we're finishing today, is about the stories of Daniel and his friends navigating, living in that enemy territory and actually working for the enemy government the very government that destroyed their own country and took them from their homes. This is the book of Daniel. And where are we going from here? What happens next in the story? Well, as we look forward from the book of Daniel, 
we are looking for the chosen one. We are waiting for the day when God finally deals once and for all with humanity's fatal flaw, and he makes them renewed creations for garden life. Daniel as a book, as a scroll, was meant as a culmination of the entire story of the Old Testament. And Daniel was meant to take those threads of narrative and to project that story forward towards a bold new creation hope for the world. In today's story, Daniel is promoted to be second in command over the whole kingdom of Babylon. But the other officials don't like this, so they plot against him. But they find no fault in his work, so they decide to go after his religion. So the officials go to the king and ask him to make a new law against prayer to anyone but King Darius. Daniel hears about the law, and his first reaction is to go pray to God. In fact, it says in the text, he gives thanks to God and he asks for his help. The officials catch him and report him to Darius, and Darius likes Daniel, but reluctantly puts him into the pit of the lion, and he wishes him luck by saying, may your God, whom you so faithfully serve, rescue you. Then a big stone is rolled in front of the pit, and the door is sealed, so no one can sneak Daniel out, not even the king. The next morning, Darius shouts into the pit that he expects to become a tomb, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you so faithfully serve able to rescue you from the lions? And in the most dramatic moment of the story, Daniel responds. He tells Darius and everyone else around that his God did save him. And Daniel was pulled from the pit without a scratch on his body. The lions didn't touch him. An angel had closed the mouths of the lions so that they would not harm him. In response, King Darius writes a letter to all the nations telling of what God had done. When I hear this story, I often wonder what Daniel might have thought about all night in that pit. What he might have seen, what he might have heard, what he might have smelled. If I, I wonder if David's words crossed his mind and gave him any peace in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me from the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, many are the wonders you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. The first thing that stands out to me in this story is the tension. It may not be obvious to us, but there is great tension in Daniel as a Judean rising the ladder to second-in-command of an enemy nation, Babylon. There is tension between Daniel and his co-workers. There is tension, most of all, between Daniel's religion and the culture of Babylon. This tension was their way of life in exile. There was constant cultural pressure on them as a misunderstood minority faith. 
They were in the constant challenge individually and personally to try to understand what it meant to be truly faithful to their God while living away from their true home. They were trying to swim against a rip current, not drowned. This tension way of exile life is balancing both submission with subversion and surrender with rebellion. Living in this tension, Daniel chooses to lean on God in prayer. I can only imagine the prayers of Daniel. I can see Daniel just talking with God in that upper room with the windows open facing towards Jerusalem saying, hey God, it's me, Daniel. Things are getting pretty bad down here. I just wanted you to know that. Your treasured possession, your people are suffering. And I just thought you might want to do something because someone might think you don't care. And I'm just confused. I thought you were the one true king, but it sure doesn't feel like it down here in Babylon. And when he pauses to listen, he hears a still, small voice say, no, I'm still in charge. Then a little bit later, it's Daniel and God again. Hey God, me again, Daniel. Okay, things have gotten really bad. Now they've built a statue, an image, and we're supposed to worship it, and they're gonna kill me and my friends if we don't. Don't you care? You couldn't possibly still be in charge, right? And then he pauses to listen. He hears a still, small voice that says, no, I'm still in charge, even now. Then just a little bit later in our story, it's Daniel and God again. Hey, God, me again, Daniel. Don't you think that we should be doing something? You've put me in this position for something, but I don't understand. I don't know what you want me to do. Now they've outlawed prayer to anyone but the king. They're going to put me in the pit of lions. Don't you care? With all that's going on, it's one thing after another after another. How are you still king? And when he pauses to listen, he hears a still, small voice that says, No, I'm still in charge. Even now, even here, I'm king. The book of Daniel is about hope and faith and trust. In this tension, God is inviting us to answer the very same question that he's asking Daniel, his friends, and the other exiles. Do you trust me? Do you trust that my ways are higher than your ways? Do you trust that I'm still in charge even when you don't see it? And it is in the middle of that tension, in the middle of those questions, that we find Daniel in the pit of lions. In that world where everything looks like there's no possible way that God is in charge, we get good news. The second thing that stands out to me in this story is the pit itself. The word for pit in the story's native language of Aramaic can mean a number of different things. It can mean literally a pit, a hole in the ground. It can also mean a cistern, which is like a, a stone carved out cave that can hold water. And it could also mean a tomb, which is usually carved out of stone in that context. And it's actually the exact same word used in Daniel chapter three a few weeks ago, a pit of fire, which is often translated as a furnace. And this connects the two stories of Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6 even closer than we might have already realized. In Daniel chapter 3, his friends are thrown into that pit of fire 
for not worshiping the golden image. But God delivers those three friends from the furnace. These ancient Hebrew authors are connecting these stories and others because they want us to see the patterns of how God works. They want us to understand that God saves, period. It wasn't a one-off. It wasn't a one-time miracle. The authors want us to know that this is the pattern. This is the plan. This is how God works over and over and over again. But I actually think there's another story we're supposed to connect with this too, with this pit. And that detail is found in verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the pit. The king sealed the stone with his royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel in the night. Now listen with me to the other story. As evening approached, there came a rich man named Joseph, who he himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in a new tomb cut out from the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. A little further down, it explains that they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and by posting guard. Whenever there are these small details in the story, we always want to be asking, why do I need to know that? Why did, they, why did Matthew record that detail about the seals? Well, in this case, Matthew wants you to think of the story of Daniel when you hear the story of Jesus. He's including that detail to help us make that connection. And to the original audience in that first century whose minds were trained for those kind of connections and who knew the story of Daniel incredibly well, Matthew is screaming to highlight the two tales of the rolling stones and the God who saves. Both stones were rolled away to find a pit which was supposed to be a tomb, didn't contain a dead body. God saved Daniel from the lions by closing their mouths. Jesus was raised from the dead to save me and you. He once and for all closed the mouth of the beast of sin and death. And in, this, and in response to this, a good message went out to all the nations. And I want to suggest that to one degree or another, we are all Daniels in this story. Now, we might not have a lofty second-in-the-kingdom type job or a crazy story of being taken from our homelands by enemies. And this is true. You may not feel like a Daniel. But we've all been in the pit before. And some of us are there right now. So what is Daniel chapter 6 all about? What do we have to learn here? Is this a story about lions? Is this a story about mean mean co-workers who have it in for you? As I was reading this story, it spoke to me. And that is what I wanted to share with you this morning, the message which I needed to hear and a message which I always need to hear at least one more time. The story shared with me good news. Good news that God is still in charge even when we couldn't understand possibly how. Good news that God saves. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that God has saved us. Our faith isn't a do religion It's an already done religion. And this is what my heart needed to be reminded of in diving into this story. It is way too easy to be caught in performance. 
volunteering enough, doing enough, praying enough, reading the Bible enough, knowing enough, believing enough, being good enough, being worthy enough. We can't ever do enough. You will always be chasing one more opportunity, one last task, just a bit more. The whole point is that you aren't enough, but he is enough for us. What you aren't going to find at the end of today's sermon is a to-do list. You aren't going to find five easy steps to stop sinning or spiritual self-help. This isn't a story that's going to push you to run faster. This is a story that's going to lead you to hope by way of faith and trust. And it is my hope that this story blankets you in the peace and grace that we all so desperately need. It is not, what you ha- not about what you have done. It's only about what he has already done. God closed the mouths of the lions. God didn't send a sword for Daniel to kill the lions, and he didn't send a rope and tell him to close the mouths of the lions. God dealt with the problem head on by taking matters into his own hands. And this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And if you're anything like me, it seems like if it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words and lies in my head and bad patterns I'm not proud of. And I don't know about you, but I can definitely relate to Daniel. Living in a world of brokenness and pain and evil where it doesn't seem possible that God's still in charge. And we all live in a home that isn't our true home, that garden, peace on earth place, which makes us all exiles. When I was trying to find words to summarize the take-home from what the story of the Daniel and the Pit of Lions was, I found another Bible character who knows suffering and tension well. Talk about a man who should have conditioned hopelessness. It's Job. But yet, he utters these words. In the lowest of low places, when in the slimy pit of Psalm 40, these words come to his mouth. Va'ani yadati goeli chai. And as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. We can easily place these words in Daniel's mouth and any of a number of different points in the story. When confronted with death, when asked by coworkers why he prays three times a day, when sitting in the pit patiently waiting for the light of a new morning. And as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. Let those words wash over you and bring you peace because in a world filled with bad news, we all need some good news. And as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. Peace and prosperity to you. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued you from the power of true death. O Lord, our God, you are the God who saves. We just ask that you would allow us to carry this good news with us us this week. It is far too easy for us to carry bad news with us. Allow us to be washed in peace 
and to learn to love ourselves and forgive ourselves as you do every morning. To see ourselves as you see us. To be patient with ourselves as you are patient with us. To have the peace that passes all understanding and the hope that never puts us to shame. Amen and amen.